the actual nuts and bolts of the money, that's the easy part. That's five or 10% of this, of the game. The other 90 plus percent is right up here in your noggin. It is all mental. Welcome to the Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Brad Barrett, host of the Choose FI podcast. But before we get into his story, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody, not much for me. It's a pretty simple weekend. We barely even left the house. We just had all these kind of adulting things we needed to do, all these checklist things we needed to do that we've been putting off because we travel so much. And we have another gauntlet coming up later this month where I've got to go to Vegas for work. We come out to Boston to see you guys, then go to New York for work, all without ever coming home. So we just enjoyed being at home this past weekend. Looking forward to this upcoming weekend. We're going to stay local-ish. We're going to be about two hours away, getting out to some of Leslie's family's like one of their deer camps and just getting away from the city. Again, just enjoy some quiet time. We're also going to be doing a little house sitting for her brother this week, getting to hang out with the dogs, which is always fun. But keep it real simple before I start that two-week gauntlet at the end of the month. How about you, Cody? So I had a couple of birthdays this week. Back on August 3rd, it was my mom's birthday. I know she listens to every episode, so happy birthday, mom. And then it was my wife, Lauren's mom's birthday on the 8th. So I got to celebrate two mom birthdays in the same week, which is pretty fun and exciting. Been finalizing some wedding details. We had a meeting with the wedding DJ this past week. So Justin, you'll be hearing all the tunes that are on our must playlist. And I found out there's a do not playlist. So (laughs) Lauren put together a do not playlist. Like don't play these songs. Don't play these artists. It's going to be a lot of fun though. It's just kind of wrapping together all those final little details before our big day on August 26th. But Justin, that's enough from us because I'm super excited for this episode today. Kind of a full circle moment because Brad and his old co-host Jonathan at Choose FI, they were kind of part of my introduction into the FI world. I started with the blogs, I think it was Mr. Money Mustache or Mad Scientist, but the first podcast I started listening to about financial independence was Choose FI back in, I think, 2017. It was so cool to finally get him on the show. He was someone I've been looking up to for a while now, and I've learned so much about financial independence from him and the people he's had on his show, and he's just done so much for this community. Choose FI has a huge listener base. If you're not already a listener, I know we have a huge crossover, but they have a huge listener base and they've done so much for just spreading the word of financial independence. I think back when they started in 2017, it was not even close to as commonplace. I'm not saying it's commonplace now. If you interview 100 random people off the street and you ask them, what's fire mean? Very few of them are probably going to know the answer to that question, but I think they've done an awesome job of just making this message more widespread and showing more people that early financial independence is possible. Like you said, Cody, Brad, and just that overall Choose FI brand have done so much for the community and they're put so much into like even free resources that are out there and educations for like younger people. They've had a big push for that over the last year or so. So there's a a lot of cool things that they're doing. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was just how open Brad was. I mean, this is someone who is a pivotal part of the financial independence movement, community, whatever you want to call it, but it's still someone who struggles with hey, what should my retirement really look like? Like, How do I build that community out of like-minded people in my day-to-day life when maybe a lot of friends and family are still working? So I think it's just really cool how open he is about his whole journey and just shows that everyone's still going to have some things to figure out no matter how much you understand because 
for the most part, the math is actually not that complicated. It's all the other stuff that makes this an interesting ride. If you want to find out more information about Brad, or if for some reason you've never heard of the Choose FI podcast at this point, you can find all that information over at thefyshow.com slash Brad. That's thefyshow.com slash B-R-A-D. Take it away, Brad. Summer after my sophomore year of college, I had like a internship at a investment firm. It was Solomon Smith Barney back then. And I went up seeing a compound interest calculator for the first time. And that was one of those lightning bolt moments for me. So it was, okay, the seed has been planted, but nothing happened then. And then I wound up getting my first job. So obviously you guys are dramatically younger than I am, but 2001, this is a historical event at this point, but I went to work for maybe the biggest and best accounting firm in the world, or certainly the most reputable accounting firm in the world, which was Arthur Anderson. So you think you've made it, right? Like go to a great college, get a great job. And the Enron scandal happened. And nine months later, Arthur Anderson did not exist anymore. So what that meant to me was I picked up these little lessons, which it didn't matter for me. My partners, luckily, they brokered a deal. We picked up, we moved our desks across the street to KPMG and all was well. So listen, don't cry for me about this. But what it meant was I looked and I said, I saw people at other branches of Arthur Anderson and their lives were in an uproar because they might've been partners. They might've been making a fortune, but if they were spending all their money, these people were existentially nervous and worried about hey, my entire life could crumble here. And it was outside of my control. And I think that was the key piece that I picked up as a 22-year-old kid. Hey, I don't want this to be outside of my control. So I think that little lesson, and then also seeing again, like, okay, if the carrot for working at an investment bank or an accounting firm or a law firm is, you can be a partner someday. But I saw my partners there at 2 a.m. with us, literally stapling tax returns during busy season. I mean, this is the old days, right? And it was just, what are we doing here, right? This makes no sense. So it didn't add up to me. None of it added up. And you couldn't take a couple of weeks off. I mean, anytime you wanted, you'd be lucky if you could get a week off. So this wasn't the goal of life. And I figured that out very, very early. And luckily, part of it was because of this exogenous shock of this Enron scandal. And I just said, there has to be a better way. And at that point, there wasn't the financial independence movement. It predated that. I mean, obviously, your money or your life had been out at that point, but I wasn't aware of it. So luckily, and I think part and parcel of this, but also part by nature was, all right, I've been saving money. So I lived at home for the first couple of years and saved a boatload of money. My wife, who was then my girlfriend, was also living at home, saving money. And when we got married, we basically said to ourselves, hey, look, we're both CPAs. We can make a living here on Long Island in a very high cost of living area but we're always going to have to give something up. And at that point, it was, okay, we made the decision to move away from our family and friends and move down to Richmond, Virginia, which was really the catalyst for everything that came after. And it was, let's set up a life where only one of us needs to work because chances are we're going to have kids someday. And chances are one of us is going to want to stay home with those future kids. So we laid the groundwork then. And it really was a very typical bypath for a long time, basically until I found entrepreneurship. And that's a whole separate issue, which I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you have some questions, but that's the absolute best I can do in about a two-minute span of like, okay, here's the broad overview of my FI journey. 
So when you were starting off your story, you were talking about how you were naturally frugal. And that may be in contrast with what might have been going on with some of the partners talking about they were spending maybe as much money as they were earning. And I'm just curious if you can think about where that natural frugality came from. And then as you go into a career like that, where maybe you're surrounded by people who aren't naturally frugal, and maybe they are like wanting to spend these big dollars because they're making such big dollars, were you able to hold on to it? It's interesting to think back on that and to think back through just these fleeting moments that I can remember because I am not aware of really ultimately where it came from because I do think it was somewhat natural. But just these little moments, I worked at a comic book and baseball card store. I got like a 10% discount. And there's this funny story in, in my family of like my brother when he broke his leg. This is a terrible story, frankly, and I'm ashamed of it. But I drove to the or I rode my bike at that point to the comic book store and like essentially snagged his 10% discount because I'm like, <laughs> this story doesn't translate. But just things like, more importantly, one of my best friends mowed lawns. And one particular woman who lived next door to him, who he mowed lawns for, would pay him by the hour. And it never made any sense to me. It was always antithetical to essentially how I live my life, which was like, A, you should get paid for the job, right? And you shouldn't be punished for being efficient so that was one of those fleeting moments. But yeah, Justin, I don't have a great answer to you in terms of like, how did I become frugal? I think saving money was just always kind of something that was on my mind. I never succumbed to spending as a kid. And then, yeah, to your point, I think more importantly was when I got into that first job. And again, you know, I'm making some money and I saw people around me, 22, 23 year old kids buying BMWs and going out on their own and living in one-bedroom apartments on Long Island, which it's not New York City, so it's not New York City prices, but it's not terribly far off in the cosmic scheme of things. And I just never felt the need to impress anybody. And I think that was always something, whether it's innate or learned somehow, I think that that is a critical skill and a, just a critical mentality on the path to five. Like, it was all internal to me. Like, I derived my self-worth from who I was, my intellect, the way I treated people. It wasn't about how flashy I was or that I would, oh, look, I made it. I'm on my own with my BMW and no money in the bank. Like That wasn't something that was alluring to me. So yeah, I mean, I definitely saw it all around me, but somehow had the internal wherewithal to not succumb to that essentially. And what was actually that first light bulb moment where you discovered financial independence was possible? Was it your money or your life? Or did you read that and realize that you could retire early, whether that was via the nest egg method or cash flow or like what was that realization when Phi became real? I think when Phi became real, and this wasn't the first piece of personal finance content, certainly that I read, because that was JD Roth and Geverage Slowly, and I think David Bach. I think is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, that's right. A book, Smart Couples Finish Rich, I think it was called. So that was actually a really important book. That very rarely gets mentioned, but my wife and I love that. So that said, we were attuned to personal finance, but for me, it was Mr. Money Mustache. It was the first time I read The Shockingly Simple Math, and I just saw on paper, digital paper, that, oh, this is real, right? Like, there's some end goal here. And I think that's what... We can quibble all day about the 4% rule or 4% rule of thumb or whatever. You, I think that's nonsense when people like argue over that. Obviously, there's a legitimate argument. Putting that aside, it's that North Star, guys, right? That's what is so important to people when they learn about Phi 
and when they learn about the 4% rule of thumb is it takes it from being nebulous to something that's concrete. And again, once you get more nuanced, you can argue, you can get Karsten from early retirement now on and or read his safe withdrawal series and, hey, do I want it to be a 3.5% or 3.25? I don't care about that stuff at all, frankly, because it's what is the North Star? And for most people, they have no idea about finances. If they're smart enough to save money, it's just I'm saving for retirement. And that might mean 30, 40 years hence. But when you see something like the shockingly simple math, it becomes self-evident that there's a reason why I'm doing this. So if Mr. Money Mustache was kind of like really the catalyst for discovering the FI as a possibility and reading that article, which I can share that same sentiment. When I read that, that's where it finally started seeming like, oh, this is something I could actually do. And you start to realize like, oh, an extra 5% means this many years that I'm shaving off. But as someone who's already naturally frugal, it sounded like you and your wife were kind of already on the path. Like, do you remember any like tactical changes you made in your life once it started to seem real? Ooh, that is a wonderful question. Tactical changes. I don't know that we made any like consequential changes because I think at the end of the day, for me, if you have like the big three expenses locked down, then you're well on your way. So at that point, they were 2003. I had a Honda Civic. She had a Toyota Highlander. We were rocking those things. So there was no change there. We were already living in our house in Richmond. And at that point, we had made a fairly wise decision to move into a really good school district, but essentially find a a pretty inexpensive four-bedroom house. And our meals were pretty locked down. So in all honesty, like the main stuff was pretty locked. But then, you know, interestingly, I think on some levels, and this is fast forwarding probably five, 10 years, but on some levels, we've certainly loosened the purse strings. And I think that's a very liberating point when you get there in FI is realizing, hey, maybe I'm being too frugal. We've always considered ourselves as kind of rolling in abundance. That's the phrase that I use to describe it. And by no means have I ever felt deprived. But sometimes you look and you say, okay, you know, yeah, we like cooking at our house, but, you know, we also like going out to eat. Or, hey, happy hour at home sounds great, but happy hour at that brand new brewery that's in this cool district of Richmond, that's pretty darn good too. So nothing majorly tactical because I think we've done the ground game as my old co-host Jonathan used to like to call it is when you have your ground game right, which to me was getting the major things right, you have so much flexibility, which is really great. And just because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with businesses and entrepreneurship. I do want to touch on that a little bit. So at what point did entrepreneurship become a part of the equation? You were an accountant, but then you got into like, I remember you talking about selling those like wood holders or I don't even know what you call them exactly. <laughs> like you would have that yeah. drop shipping business. Like, I guess, how did entrepreneurship come into the equation and how big of a role did that play into you reaching five? Yeah, it has been a long time now. It's been at least certainly more than 10 years. It's probably been 13-ish years, plus or minus. I think when the four-hour work week came out by Tim Ferriss, I certainly wasn't an early adopter to it, but I read that pretty early on after publication. And that was another one of those lightning bolt moments. So we've already talked about three of them, right? So we had the Enron scandal, we had shockingly simple math, and then reading for our work week. Back then, that was really the infancy of a lot of, not the internet per se, but the modern internet, right? I mean, 13 years ago. So I read about this and you read about drop shipping. And I don't know, I'm assuming you guys have, have both read for our work week. But man, when you read about dropshipping, it is the most elegant business model in the entire world. And 
it's like fireworks going off in your brain of, oh, wow, you mean I can just create this storefront? I never have to take inventory or ownership. I can just forward an email to the manufacturer or whoever the dropshipper is. And I just essentially net the profit. It's like a bonanza, right? So it wound up that the only person I knew who had any entrepreneurial ventures at all at that point, just online or offline, was literally doing dropshipping, <laughs> predating Tim Ferriss. I mean, guys, the absolute serendipity of this was crazy. Like my buddy sold remanufactured ink cartridges. So ink cartridges for your printer or for larger printers at businesses. And the margins were fantastic on that. And he had a really thriving business. So I'm like, oh, wow. I just read about whatever it was in Ferris's book, French sailor shirts or whatever he was, a uh, ridiculous thing he was dropshipping. I'm like, oh, my friend is doing this. I wound up kind of convincing him into going into business with me and, and trying to help teach me about this. And yeah, Cody, to your point, good memory. We bought a firewood storage rack <laughs> website of which I have at that point had never lit a fire or seen a firewood storage rack, but I owned a firewood storage rack business, which is kind of interesting. And as you could imagine, the firewood storage holder niche online is not that significant. So you can't exactly make a thriving business from that. But nevertheless, it taught me that this is real. And I think that's one of those aha moments in life when it's so cliche almost at this point, but that first dollar online, which I would extend to the first time you've proved a business model to yourself. I think that's actually what people mean when they say, I remember that first dollar, because then it very quickly morphed into, okay, I got into some of like the seedy underbelly of the online world at that point, which was these keyword stuffing websites and just this ridiculous nonsense. And I'm not very proud of that. And it's hard to imagine the brat of today doing that. But I mean, listen, we all grow and we learn. And I learned valuable lessons, frankly. And I said to myself, essentially, the next time that I start something, this is going to be something that I'm proud of and something that I believe in. And that was a little personal finance website, which was the worst name in the history of the world called richmondsavers.com. <laughs> but I actually said the words, I'm never going to be Mr. Money Mustache, but dot, dot, dot. Maybe I could get some local press here in Richmond. And that actually came to pass. I wound up getting on all the local affiliates and the newspaper and things like that. And I wound up getting a feature in the New York Times, which was amazing for a trip to Disney World that I put together using travel rewards points. And that was like that moment where it all shifted. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, guys, how much you want me to dive into this because it's fairly interesting. Obviously, I know, Cody, you're massive on the entrepreneurial side. But I'll stop there if you want to jump in. Well, yeah, like when you started this blog, did that domino take you in a completely different direction where you completely moved away from a traditional business and went straight towards like, you know, this online digital like blogging media creation? Yeah, I am not a burn the boats kind of guy, especially at that point. I had a young daughter. I actually yeah, two daughters at that point. And I had a comfortable salary. I never made a fortune in my accounting job, but a very comfortable salary, obviously, that we were able to save a significant amount of money. But yeah, to what I was saying before about proving out a business model, what I did was at that point, again, my little personal finance site, which you know got a decent bit of traffic, but it was nothing dramatic. I basically kind of put my accountant's hat on and said, okay, how can I turn this? Because most online businesses are predicated on just significant traffic converts at X percent 
and we'll get you Y amount of revenue. And that's just generally how it works. So top of the funnel, you need to enlarge. But okay, my top of the funnel was fairly small, the, the actual number of visitors. But what I said was, at that point in time, this was 10 years ago, guys, when Travel Rewards was kind of seen as a, a bizarre little thing. And is this real? Can I trust this? What I said was, okay, I can take this small amount of traffic that I have and say, I'm going to offer you basically free coaching. So I'm a CPA. I'm a corporate tax manager at a, a major company. And at lunchtime, I scheduled a call at noon and 1230 with random people who visited my website. <laughs> and I basically said, look, this is lifetime value of customer. Again, we, accountants had, they're using business savvy and saying, all right, they're not going to pay me. But when I answer all their questions and when I put a little trip together for them to Paris or to Hawaii or to Disney, whatever it may be, and I send them an email with the links for how to sign up for credit cards, I'm going to get compensated for that. So theoretically, if somebody followed that plan, there's a reasonable chance I'm going to make hundreds of dollars from that one 30-minute phone call. And to me, that made sense. So prove the business model, guys, right? And I was doing this with essentially one or two hours a day. So it's a small amount of time, but I was making a little bit of money. I forget exactly. Honestly, I couldn't quote exactly, but it was $1,000, $2,000 a month, something small. But wow, if I can do that with one or two hours a day, what could I do with a whole lot more time? Is this plausible? And then it kind of scaled into, okay, I left my job. So I did finally pull the trigger on that. And I started a website called travelmiles101.com, which essentially you can't scale one-on-one, right? So obviously I could have made multiples of what I, that thousand or $2,000, but I thought, okay, what if I could create, again, this sounds so silly in today's day and age, but it was a big deal in 2015 to create a free course. You guys know it. Most entrepreneurs know it as just, it's an email autoresponder. But eight years ago in 2015, eight and a half years ago, it was a novel concept. So I created this course and I sent it out. And I mean, we put, I think it's almost 50,000 people inception to date through that free travel rewards course. Wow. And there's no way I could reach 50,000 people one-on-one with 30-minute phone calls. Going back to Cody's question from five, 10 minutes ago is, entrepreneurship has been a really important part of my journey and I wouldn't have conceptualized this. And yeah, I mean, Justin, it's a great question just overall of like, okay, how did this eventually happen? And I'm a naturally conservative guy when it comes to my finances. And I got to that point where it was obvious and it was inevitable and I just needed to rip the bandaid off and do it. And I'm really thankful that I had the wherewithal to do that. My wife supported me. And obviously you can say the rest is history, but there's a million things that happen in between then and now, but it's been a journey. So we're getting real close to the birth of Choose Fi, where you spend most of your time today and where you've impacted millions of people, myself, Justin, I'm sure it's changed your life as well, Brad. I don't want to dig into like the whole Choose Five story because I think we probably have, again, a lot of crossover listeners who listen to us, listen to Choose Five. I am really interested though, because you've just interviewed so many different people from all different walks of life on the Five Path. I'm curious if you can think back to 2017, Brad, because that's when you launched Choose Five, right? Yeah, yeah. What are some of the differences? What are some of the trends? What are some of the things that are working now or maybe not working now that were working back then? Like what has changed in the Five community? What has changed for Five folks? We'll be right back after this. Overwhelmed by all the hats you wear in life? Listen in as Eric Fisher talks with productivity experts as they share how they implement practical productivity strategies in their personal and professional lives. 
exploring all aspects of productivity and its true end goal, living a meaningful life, which is something we focus a ton on on The Fi Show. For more than a decade, Eric Fisher has sat down with productivity experts, authors, and creatives as they share their insights on how to implement productivity strategies in both your professional and personal life. The goal? To help you gain perspective, practical knowledge, and productivity insights for living a whole life that goes beyond the to-do list. Check out the incredibly engaging conversations with Eric and his guests every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the show. I think to me, the biggest change is the mentality. I don't know that at its heart, any of like the tactics or any of the significant tactics have changed dramatically again at their essence, right? At the margins, things always change. And again, like we talked about before, you can quibble over the 4% rule, the 3.25. I don't care about that stuff, honestly. But at its essence, it's save money, have a significant savings rate, invest for the long term, however you see fit. I think a lot of people do low cost index funds that say the same, but a lot of people do real estate. A lot of people have online, have businesses, right? There's plenty of ways. And I think the actual answer again is the mentality, which is we're not dogmatic. And I think that's been a wonderful really update in that it seemed at the beginning, and this is a caricature, but nevertheless, that becomes reality, right? Whatever people think a community is, regardless of whether it's true or not, that becomes reality. And I think it was seen as an exclusive thing. This was for white guys in their 20s and 30s who were in tech jobs. And I think just sadly, it was just a couple of people who were early kind of more famous bloggers who fit that exact specifications and therefore a caricature was born. And I think ultimately, Cody, to your question, by seeing so many guests on our show and your show and Afford Anything and Bigger Pockets Money and all these incredible shows, The Mad Fiancer Show, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to leave anybody out, but obviously there are many incredible, incredible five podcasts. I think we've all realized that this is accessible for many or most people. And I would venture to say that all people can benefit from pursuing financial independence. And I think that has been an awakening for most people. So there's that. And then I think really, and I alluded to this before, is that I think we've become maybe less frugal over the intervening five or six years. I think at the beginning, it was a numbers game. And I don't ever think that I wished years away or that I was a miser or that I was unhappy. But I know some people that I personally know have been, and they went over that line. I know many of us, it was that race to how high can you get your savings rate? Not how can you design a life you actually want to live, but how can you just increase that savings rate? So it became keeping up with the Joneses, just not spending on useless crap, but hey, on who's going to get to FI in seven years and four months instead of seven years and eight months, right? Like just ridiculous stuff. And if I could pat myself on the back for one thing, I think it's that we've helped subtly because I don't, frankly, I don't think anybody like gives us credit, nor do I want or care about it. But I think very subtly, we've changed the narrative from that to this is something that everyone can get value from, that this is a personal journey and we are not dogmatic. We don't care what you choose to do, but we certainly care that you take action to make your life better. And I think that has been received because now the community is primed for messages like Bill Perkins and his book, Die With Zero, which 
has been a complete reframe for a lot of people. That has been a really impactful book. And honestly, I don't think the community would have been ready for that five or six years ago before we tried to, over many years and hundreds of episodes, subtly change the narrative a little bit. So that's really what I've seen change. Uh, you know, Frankly, I'd love to turn the tables on you guys and ask you, I don't know if you're open to that, but that's my natural questioner in me. Yeah, I remember in 2014, 15 timeframe when I first came across Mr. Money Mustache and that was his character. That was his character was this like ultra saver, you know, biking everywhere, these kind of extreme rules. And a lot of people embraced that and ran with it. And we did have this kind of community of people who were taking things maybe a little extreme. And there was this perception out there that it was only for this certain subsect of people. And I agree with you. That's the two main things that I definitely think I've seen change is that there's so many interesting stories out there with people from all different backgrounds. And even if somebody, you know, you do look at somebody in their 20s, early 30s, white tech job, like some of these people have incredible backgrounds that, you know, sometimes they don't get credit for. And so I agree. I think there's a lot more diversity out there. I think there's a lot more enjoying the journey and making sure you're getting to the path happy and whole and not getting there as fast as humanly possible. Another question that I would have is, you know, someone who has interviewed so many people and been around this space is, what's maybe some education that you think we could use more of for folks? I think there's so many articles that are very similar and so many, you know, background stories that can be similar to some degree. But like, what do you think is an area where there just hasn't been enough focus on that you think could use a little help in the FI space? That's a good one. My reflexive answer is maybe not exactly what you're looking for, but I will try to think of something very concrete. But my reflexive answer is that I think people get overwhelmed, even though I think shows like ours try to make this accessible. But for people who have no background in personal finance, have never learned anything about personal finance or certainly financial independence, any type of acronym or something that seems like jargon is just too much. And I think, I suspect, and I fear that it turns people off. And this is not like a, a plug, obviously, for what I'm doing, but I'm trying to rectify that <laughs> expense in terms of uh, my time. And like I'm trying to go through and create like a fundamentals of financial independence in terms of even down to like the micro of, hey, I'm going to record a quick video on expense ratios. And it doesn't have to be the most exhaustive thing ever, but if it's 30 seconds, but it answers the question, I think we don't do a great job because it's very difficult, frankly, of making like an A to Z of how can someone get up to speed to even get to the point where they can understand the message or be receptive to the message. And I know there's a little chicken in the egg, obviously, in the sense that like, are they going to spend a couple hours like learning about personal finance before they realize they have any interest? You know, we can quibble about the actual uh, logic here. But nevertheless, I think that has been missing. It's like some repository for, all right, look, you know, I understand everybody's coming in at a different spot. And if not understanding when one of us, because I suspect all three of us have used AUM and it just rolls off the tongue instead of slowing down and saying assets under management. And because you can't do that every time, right? And why that's so insidious. And But if you had a little explanatory article or something, I think that would make a difference. So again, Justin, that wasn't exactly the answer you were looking for, but I think that's important. And I'm trying to build it. I frankly don't know if I have it in me to be as exhaustive as that as possible, but it's a process that I'm undertaking. But 
That's all that comes to mind. I'm going to probably kick myself for not having a different answer because <laughs> I think what's so cool is, and this comes back to just the age we're living in, is that at its essence, it's not a lack of information, right? Like you can find information on anything you want with enough Google searches and hopefully being discerning with the type of site or resource that you're, that obviously we know they're the bowels of the internet, right? And, and people can and do get led astray very easily. So if you're somewhat discerning with where you're getting your information from, there's a world of information out there. So I don't think that's the actual issue. Like, oh, we've just had a glaring hole in real estate in this one little, I don't see it that way. I know I focus on that story and trying to get people to connect to, oh, that person did it. I can too. So it's really like a motivational thing. And obviously, there are hundreds of five podcasts and we all have our different way we go about it. But for me, I'm not as worried about, oh, I have a, like a missing spot in our 600 plus episodes and I've let down the audience. I think it's, I'm trying ultimately to inspire people to take action to make their lives better. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job answering the question. And I agree. It's more of not that you need to create some new educational piece per se. It's more around how do you create a spark that makes someone want to be educated because there is so much information out there. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think to go back to what's changed to my answer to the question, I think something that makes this difficult, like what you're talking about, Brad, like here's the A to Z, because we know here, us three talking, if you save 50% of your income and invest in almost anything, like you're going to be wealthy. It doesn't matter if it's dividend stocks or this index fund or that index fund or People are just battling on like Twitter about this stuff all day long. I have a tweet right now that's going kind of crazy with dividend people versus index people. And it's like, guys, like, yes, there's differences. But at the end of the day, just have a high savings rate, invest in one of them, whatever you like, and you'll be fine. But I think that there's just so much information out there that it's really hard for people to kind of parse through the BS. Like, I think people are consuming more than ever now. There's people on TikTok, like selling whole life insurance and index universal life, like all this random stuff, all these crazy strategies. And so I don't think people can like find a North Star. It's really hard for them to be like, oh, is this an actual A to Z or is this just some other BS scam? Because like I'm consuming all of this different financial knowledge from all these different people and even prominent voices in the space like Robert Kiyosaki is kind of a lunatic. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> like I he's, knew it. he's crazy. He's talking about the market's going to crash every single year. Yeah. He's like buy as much gold and silver as you possibly can. Like he's a lunatic. And for people who are going <laughs> to listen to him. They're going to end up behind the folks who are listening to like level-headed people. I don't like to label myself as a level-headed person. I would hope that our listeners would label me as that. But <laughs> I think that's a big problem that we're facing now, Brad, versus like 2017 when Choose Fi like kind of took off and you guys have had such a huge impact on people's financial lives. And I'm sure that you guys had played a huge role in like the amount of people that know the words index fund and 4% rule and like <laughs> terms like that. But I think just now, like it's information overload. People are just drinking from a fire hose. And unfortunately, a lot of that fire hose is tainted water, not good influencers with not good information. Yeah, no, you're right. And that is hard for people. You see in a lot of aspects of life, not limited to personal finance, you see people going down rabbit holes and ultimately into cesspools where, yeah, sadly, they're getting misinformed under the guise of 
really educating themselves. I mean, it's tough. There's no easy answer to that. And I'm sure you kicked up a hornet's nest with that. I'd love to see that tweet. <laughs> I know the dividend fundamentalists there. Uh, oh, man. They love. Go check it out. It's getting crazy. People are like, no, dividends are also passive income. And then the people are like, no, but you got to understand it's about the total return. And it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. But at the end of the day, even though I also, I, well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I think dividend investors are horribly misguided. <laughs> if you save 50% of your income, and you invest in dividend stocks, you're going to be doing fine. Yeah. So let's be entirely clear here. <laughs> we were talking earlier about maybe some gaps and things that are out there, at least the way maybe people are following the content. And not that there's not content about this, but it seems like most of the stuff we consume is about how to get to FI. And then I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are so solely focused on that that once they get there, they don't really know what to do. And so I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts of for people who are out there who are on their journey, maybe some advice to them on preparing for when that day comes. And now they do have this life to live that is completely different than the life that maybe they had been living, like how to prepare for it or just a mindset to have as they go into it. Yeah, I think this is the most important thing because if you think you're going to wake up one day when that number on the spreadsheet or on your screen says you've hit phi and all of a sudden your life is going to be dramatically better and you're going to be happier and it's going to be unicorns and rainbows. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. That's just simply not the way the world works. And you need to do the work. And honestly, what's so great about phi is that I see it as this interesting journey, right? So there's no get rich quick. This is a you can get wealthy over the medium term. That's kind of how I conceptualize it in my head, right? So whatever that is, obviously people like Cody are super fast. Medium term means a little different than to him. But for most of us, it's 10 to 20 years, let's say. And I think that's reasonable. Very much on average, of course, painting a broad brush. But once you get past those first couple of years of the fire hose of information, and you understand, and you've made a lot of changes, and that's not to say that the action you're taking and the changes are stopping there, but you have your finances on autopilot, et cetera. Like at that point, that is where the shift should actually start. Like even at that point, that early on in your FI journey of realizing that, okay, the actual nuts and bolts of the money, that's the easy part. That's five or 10% of this, of the game. The other 90 plus percent is right up here in your noggin. It is all mental and you need to figure out, you need to over a course of many years, try to design a life that you want to live into. Guys, I'm sure you can echo this, but this is not some simple linear thing where you try a couple of things and you hit on something and then that's the next 70 years of your life. Like It doesn't work that way. You're constantly, constantly iterating and something that lit you up for years in your 20s and 30s at some point might reach its conclusion or you realize you want something different and you just have to constantly test. So I guess the most succinct way I would put it is this is the whole game. Justin, the question that you just asked, that is everything. And if you wait until the point you're at FI, you are going to be miserable. Frankly, like I know that sounds a little over-exaggerated, but you are going to get to a point where if, let's use this hypothetical of somebody diligently saved and they got to FI, they were blissfully unaware. They never thought about it. They left their job. They're at FI. And then they wake up that next day and it's, oh my God, what next? What do I do? Because at that point, 
in all likelihood, all their family, friends, neighbors are still going to work dutifully. And they're sitting around with a whole lot of time on their hands. And if they've never put a thought into, hey, what does life look like? What do I want to do? How am I going to spend my time? What am I going to do to give back? How am I going to add value to the world? Any of these things. Like It almost sounds like a caricature at this point, guys, honestly, because I can't imagine that anybody's that blissfully unaware now. But not that long ago, I think in the early days of Phi, that was probably more common than not. Because we did think that this was the panacea, that just getting to that number was going to solve everything. And we've had a lot of people from the famous of Brandon the Mad Scientist on down to, you know, obviously it doesn't matter if people know you or not through a blog or podcast, but just everybody. And if you haven't prepared, I mean, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So that is the whole game. And I don't have a prescription, guys. Like, that's the thing. It's you need to test for your life. You need to just try things. And I spoke with Jillian Johnsrud this morning, and she was talking about this. And this is another important aspect of it is that you're going to try these things and they might sound great on paper. It might have been your lifelong goal to, I don't know, travel around in an RV or take a boat around the world and you might get on the first week or test it out in a small scale and realize, oh my God, I hate this. This is horrible. Like, I don't want to spend my life doing this. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're a failure. You haven't failed at Phi. You haven't failed at life at that point. You've learned something. It's like the Thomas Edison thing, right? Like, you keep trying, trying, trying. It doesn't mean you failed all of those experiments. It means you've learned something really valuable about what didn't work. And you just keep at it until you find that kind of list or suite of things that do work. Also knowing, like I said a couple of minutes ago, that your life is going to change. And that's just natural. So just being forewarned with that knowledge of, hey, you might quote unquote fail at something that you thought was going to be fantastic, but that's okay. That's part of life. So it's all in your head. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. It truly is all in your head. So I know you mentioned you don't have a prescription for this, but for my, I'm going to call them normies, but like my normal friends who aren't in the fly community, a lot of them do. They're trying to like, quote unquote, live their life now. YOLO, I'm going to take all these vacations. I'm going to do all these different things. Do you have like rules of thumb, whether it's duration, whether it's a percentage of your income per year that you can spend on these things. Because I'm just thinking, you know, there are some super frugal people that go too far the opposite end. I actually saw you recently tweet about that Ramit interview with Carl and Mindy. You were saying it like it's setting the fire movement back because like <laughs> they talked about not spending money a lot, love Carl and Mindy. But I do see a lot of quote unquote normal people on the way other end of the spectrum where they're trying to design their best life now, which means going to concerts every weekend, going on vacations multiple times a year when they have 0% savings rate. So is there like any guidelines or I don't want to say rules, but just like things that you like to think about a healthy way of doing this and testing the waters while you're on your path to FI? You know, it's funny. I have two daughters who are not that young anymore. In my mind, I'm like, oh, I have two young daughters, but they're 15 and 11. So they're not that young. And I think about them. So I don't have any rules, but I think what I try to advise them for people who are unwinding an expensive life, this sounds ridiculous, but for people who are getting started, like we said before, if you can save and again, this sounds ridiculous to many people, many of those normies, I suspect, but if you can save 50% of your income, right? Like from the very beginning, you can then obviously spend freely. Spending is an important part of life. And I think that is a lesson that I'm trying to impart on my girls. And nobody makes the rules of spending. Like my younger one recently has gotten into being like a little fashionista. So she has savings and 
obviously that's savings for long term, but then she is spending money. For her, we try to build these lessons in, which are there's a finite amount of money. There's scarcity. You have to make decisions in life. And she had a couple hundred dollars and she wound up spending, I forget, a hundred bucks or maybe it was maybe more than that. It was $140, something like that, on a shirt and a pair of shorts from Lululemon. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, I would never do that. That's crazy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You could have bought four pairs at Athleta or whatever it is, or your mom has points at Old Navy and you could have gotten unlimited. But part of life is making those choices, right? And understanding that there's a trade off. So I think, Cody, there is some kind of like, education in the sense that, okay, making choices and understanding scarcity, that's a really important aspect of it. But again, going back to my girls who are, haven't made any decisions that they have to unwind now, if you save, let's say 30 to 50% of your income, you don't have to feel bad about anything. You don't have to feel bad about spending. You don't have to feel bad about going to breweries and bars and concerts. I mean, frankly, if you're spending all of your money with this YOLO mentality, it's going to be very hard to catch up. It's not impossible, right? Like we see plenty of people starting the path to FI in their 40s and 50s, but it's a whole heck of a lot harder. Let's be honest here, right? Like if you can build a life that allows you to feel like you can spend money. So again, you're coming out of college at 22, 23, you've never made money at that point. If you can build a life that you're saving that 30 to 50%, and that's just the way that it works, you still feel fantastic about spending, right? Like that's the thing that I would advise to most people. So it's a tough question, Cody. And there's no perfect answer, but I think if you can get them early enough before they've made catastrophic mistakes, then you can just essentially set them on autopilot to the point where live free, enjoy yourself, do your thing, but you have this framework on autopilot, which I think is the most critical thing for most of us with our personal finance is if you let your silly little monkey brain get involved, it's going to screw it up. We're fearful little animals and we just screw everything up. So you want to get everything on autopilot as much as you can. That's whether you're 15, like my older daughter or 60, it doesn't matter. Earlier, we were talking about kind of that preparing for FI along the journey, and you were mentioning how people should be experimenting along the way to figure out if that is really what they want their life to look like. And you also talked about how, you know, you're going to wake up and your neighbors and your friends, they're probably going to still be going to work. And so I'm curious for you personally, maybe to give the listeners some, you know, real world examples, like what has that been like for you? Like, what were some of the things that you thought Man, it's going to be awesome. And it turned out to not be a fit. And then also, how have you built a community that is able to live that life with you and understand where you're coming from? Because it's just so different than the most of the population. Yeah. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, this is a pain point in my life. So I'm not standing here as an expert on, oh, I've tried a hundred different things and I've figured it out and I'm living my best life. It's, I'm really working on this. I'm trying to find things and I'm trying to find people that I can live this life with in essence. And it is hard. So one thing I've built fitness into my life pretty significantly, and that's been a massive aspect. Jonathan Mendonca, my former co-host, but still business partner on Choose of I, we've been going to the gym together four times a week for essentially the last six months. And it's just been fantastic. And it's just that constant accountability, 
and for the summer, it's been a little different. So anybody's fact checking me, it's been, <laughs> it's been a little different the last couple of weeks. Directionally, it's been essentially five in the last six months and 8 a.m. We know we're both there. And that's been fantastic. And it's a harder question to answer in the sense that I am spending more time on Chooseify than I probably would like in a perfect world. And maybe if I'm completely honest, then I'm spending more time on it than I advertise I'm spending, right? So I think I don't ever try to be dishonest or disingenuous in any sense. And I don't obviously ever lie or misrepresent. But I think there have been times where I've had a better work-life balance. And I think I'm in a period now where I'm spending more time on Chooseify because interestingly, Jonathan, even though he's not in front of the microphone, it's the first time we've been this excited about it since 2017. Wow. Which is pretty cool, right? Like it feels great in the sense that like we're really trying to hone in on the essence of what we're doing. And then, like I said, with those fundamentals videos and how do we get more people that we can reach on the newsletter and how can we make our website from just a kind of a generic personal finance blog into the best financial independence content on the internet. And like, that's the North Star, because that takes a lot of time, right? So I am in a season of life where not only do I not have a great answer for you, Justin, I am, I'm in a point where I'm probably too far over the line. But I think just having that realization is very important. And that is what I would hope most people would take away from my last two minutes of chatting here is you need to know yourself. And I think that is such an important part of this mentality of FI is that, look, I think a lot of us are driven people who want to do good in the world and who want to add value and maybe build something. Many of us, regardless of whether something is online or whatever, it doesn't matter. That's silly. But I think we can also be aware that we can get over that line. And sometimes you need to take a step back. So yeah, I think I can do a better job, frankly, when I was just thinking about this earlier. So it's very interesting timing that you asked me this, Justin, is I have a couple of guys that I know through the gym, through the pool, who are fantastic guys. And we've tried to set up coffees over the last literally six months, and neither of them have happened. And I actually had the thought, I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'm theoretically financially independent. I have control of my time but I can't find an hour to hang out with these two guys that like, I know I'm going to get energy from those interactions. Like that's going to be the best part of my day. And yet I haven't done it. So I think the onus is on me. And I think that's another part, right? Is okay. Because I'm the one who has more time freedom. I need to be the one reaching out more. And that's not my natural inclination. Like, obviously I talk all the time into a microphone here, but in real life, like my natural inclination is not to be like the life of the party and reaching out to people. And it's just not natural for me, but I think I need to step outside of my comfort zone a little bit more and do that. So it's a work in progress. It really is. But I think you need to find those places and those things in life that give you energy and pursue that and really do a better job of it. We seriously appreciate the transparency with all that. And I know that's probably going to make a lot of listeners feel better about their own situation and not beat up themselves for not having it figured out. So I appreciate that. Yeah. There are starts and stops to all of this. And like I said before, when you hit that number, it's not unicorns and rainbows. It's just not the way the world works. That's not the way the human condition works. There are always going to be wins and failures. And you just have to know yourself. You have to be honest. And you have to just, again, I think for me, it's pursuing that energy. 
And I know that sounds kind of wishy-washy, but like, you know, when you feel it, you know, when you're having an interaction or you're spending your time doing something where you're in a flow state, like find those things. Like those are the things you want to build into your life. And it doesn't mean 16 waking hours a day are going to be flow state, like wonderful Shangri-La. Again, that's not the human condition either. But man, try to build some more of that into your life. Well, that is a perfect place, Brad, to bring this episode to a close. So first, before we ask for where people can get more information, I, you're the perfect person to ask because I think our listeners who don't already follow Choose a Fire are going to eat all your stuff up. But I just seriously want to thank you for coming on. You have had a huge impact on my personal financial independence journey. I've learned so much from your podcast. It was like the first personal finance podcast I started listening to back in 2017. So this is a cool full circle moment, man. And for those listeners who do want to get more info from you, listen to Choose a Fi, any other resources you might have for them, where is the best place or places for them to do that? Yeah. Well, it is full circle. It's amazing. So thank you guys for having me here. I really appreciate it. And yeah, Cody, from the very first Camp Fi in Florida. It's been January. A, yeah. <laughs> that has been amazing. Five and a half years. So that is wild. That is absolutely wild. At the current moment, I put out two pieces of content a week. So the podcast comes out on Monday. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know where to find a podcast. So just search choose, like make a choice, choose FI and my newsletter, which I'm really, really putting a lot of time and energy into. And that's really the best way to stay up to date. So anything new that's coming out, which I think if all goes well, like I said, Jonathan and I have a lot up our sleeves. So go to chooseofi.com slash subscribe, or just frankly, any page on our website in the upper right corner. It's the FI weekly newsletter. So just get on that newsletter. And yeah, I mean, I send it out every Tuesday. It's a lot of, again, those stories like we talked about. It's a little bit of inspiration from the community because this is a crowdsourced community. It's not about me. It's about all of us. And I think sharing those wins every week and then a couple little nuggets that I picked up along the way. So it's pretty good. I'm definitely very proud of it. Well, Brad, you obviously have a ton going on. So we really appreciate you giving us that time today. So just want to thank you again. It's an awesome episode and can't wait to see what all you got coming out next. I appreciate it, Justin. And guys, genuinely, thank you for the questions. This is a really, really wonderful episode. So you guys did your homework. It was fun. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.